Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. We're replaying our conversation with TV chef and author Lydia Bastianich because her remarkable memoir has just been released in paperback. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This is a special edition. We're inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us and our special guest. I'm with Chris Prosperi. We're watching the heart-rending national conversation unfold about what it takes to come to America as a refugee. Italian TV chef and author Lydia Bastianich did what refugees are attempting to do now. Her book, just out in paperback, is a deeply touching memoir called My American Dream. From a refugee camp to America's shores at age 12, not understanding a word of English, what a journey. And what a read this is. We'll also be able to send Lydia's new paperback edition to your door as thanks for supporting this show and Connecticut Public. Here's our encore presentation. Lydia Bastianich, welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Thanks. Beautiful to be here again and schmooze with you. I know, exactly. <laughs> and Chris Prosperi, senior contributor on the show, my buddy, senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken is here. Lydia knows so much about Italian cooking, how to teach the rest of us that it's hard to describe this PBS television chef, restaurateur, cookbook author. But after a very long time of following her and learning from her, as many people have, I can define Lydia in two words, and that would be um, living treasure. Oh, uh, God. Her life story, as she reveals it in this newly published memoir, My American Dream, is a fascinating read. In this story, she and her brother and her parents are put in a former Nazi concentration camp refugee center in Italy. The family had lost everything where they were living, which was a considerable amount. Their friends and neighbors were disappeared during the reign of Tito in the region of Italy that became Yugoslavia, and they were endangered to this family. And finally, they were admitted to America as refugees. So this woman is our Lydia, the force behind one of the great Italian cooking empires in America, and you're about to hear how all this happened from the woman known and loved by one name. But is Lydia her name? Okay. Mystery. <laughs> Lydia, we need to do something first. I know that you had grown up in what we knew as the Trieste region of Italy. What I didn't realize is that after the war and the Paris Treaty of 1947, your area was given to communist Yugoslavia. Now Tito is in charge. What did that mean for your family and you? It meant a complete censorship of uh, human liberties. Because as a family, you know, we were Italian, so we couldn't speak Italian. We had to speak Yugoslavian, which is similar to Croatia now. We couldn't go to church. My father had his little business, two trucks. He was deemed uh, a capitalist. 
the trucks wow. were taken. He was put in jail. As a young child in growing up, you sensed this kind of censorship and blocking because when we were in the house, we would kind of huddle in our culture. And then outside, we had to be somebody else. So you have always felt like at least two people, I think. I had to be one part of the day, and the other one was the reality at home. Now we're getting to why we had to go there first. Your name really wasn't Lydia. <laughs> my name is Juliana. My mother, my brother, till this day, call me Juliana, and I respond to it. And that came about because of the censorship of religion. My mother had her sister, whose name was Lydia, sneak me out of the hospital and take me and baptize me. And they brought you in a, a sack, right, yeah, hoping she, you wouldn't cry? Yes, yes. I, oh, you God. know, they, they certainly I'm sure the hospitals weren't as controlled as now, and people knew each other. But yeah. nonetheless, she took me to the church, I guess, and baptized me. But she chose to put her name first and the given name by my mother second. Oh. So I was Lydia Juliana. <laughs> she never told anybody. It only came afloat, if you will, when I began. Again, my mother brought me to register for school, and that's when they realized she's not Juliana, she's Lydia. <laughs> and, uh, and then my life as Lydia began, in oh. a sense. You see, Chris, how this reinforces yeah. this idea of, I mean, yeah. maybe in life, in many situations, we all have to do this. We have to be many people. Yeah. But this gets me to identify with lots of immigrants who are running from something. Yes. I, and, you know, when I think about it, and, and I see today's situation, I can really empathize, empathize with the youngsters especially, mm -hmm. because I remember mm -hmm. as a child, you, you are frightened, you are lost, you're looking for an anchor, you're clinging to your parents because that's your unity, that's your strength. So I can really understand the sentiments that are going on, and I really feel. Your family decides to leave because it's getting more and more dangerous. You finally make it to Italy. You and your brother and your mother do. Your father stays behind, and he whispers something in your mother's ear. The idea was that since the borders went down and some of the family was left in Italy and we were caught in Yugoslavia, that we would go and visit supposedly our sick aunt in Trieste. But they wouldn't give the visa to the whole family because they knew that the family wouldn't return. So my mother, my brother, and I got the visa. My father had to remain as a hostage. But about two weeks after, since that whisper, my mother and my father had a pact. They had made a decision. He decided that he would try to escape, and he did. Through the borders, I had the barbed wires, the dogs, the shooting, he and he walked. made it. Yes. Wow. And there's a scene where he shows up on the door where you, your mother and you and your brother are in an apartment of a relative, and he shows up on the door and collapses. I heard all this commotion. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I jumped up, and I saw and he was on the floor, but he was also all muddy. He had dogs, scent dogs following him, and he rolled into the puddle of mud oh so that he would cover the scent so that the dogs would lose him. Before you left for Italy, and I think, oh, finally, they're going to head to the ideal place because your childhood before Tito came into power and this whole totalitarian regime, 
your life was really idyllic. It was. And it was also, it extended into part of the communist kind of situation because, you know, my mother was an elementary school teacher. But she put my brother and myself in grandma's hands. That, for me, was, I think, where my feeling, my essence for food and love for food was born. Grandma, she raised the food for the whole family because food was scarce. And there we had chickens, we had ducks, we had goats. I remember milking the goats with Grandma. We had pigs every November, the slaughter, the prosciutto, the sausages. The cherries. The cherries, springtime, absolutely. The apricots, the rafter, the figs in the summertime. Grandpa made wine and olive oil, just enough for us. So in that kind of formative stage of my life, I was very much about food. I was like a little runner for Grandma. We would go and harvest the the peas, the favas, the potatoes. I mean, I would help Grandma actually pull the potatoes out of the ground. And I remember the potatoes in my hands being nice and warm. And then... I was a helper in the kitchen, making the pasta, kneading. She would put a little step stool for me because I wouldn't reach, and I would kind of knead with her. So when we escaped to Italy, I was not fully aware that we were not going to go back. Once I saw my father, and I said, oh, this is a reality. But I hadn't said goodbye to my grandmother, to my friends. And so something unfinished was with me, and food was that connect. So this is Lydia Bastianich, and her memoir is just amazing as a read, My American Dream. And it takes you through the beginning all the way up to what I call the empire, <laughs> the, the, the Bastianich empire now in the food world. But it's just astounding that this lovely, incredibly talented person we see on TV has this history. It's just amazing. So I think, oh, at last they have made it to Italy. And what happens you were put into the Nazi concentration camp in Italy. You could still see the lines of the crematorium. This is where they put you as a refugee. Yes, oh San God. Saba. San Saba is a camp outside of Trieste. Now it is a museum. Coming to Trieste, we were given a visa. Visa has an expiration date, and my father had no papers. So we came back into Italy being afraid that we are going to be repatriated because if you were caught. They, they would have been either killed or yes, terrible labor in prison. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so they decided that they would go to the police station and say there were, there were quite a few immigrants in Trieste. Trieste was a, a city of a lot of transfers. The police said, you need to go into a camp. You need to register. You have no papers. You cannot roam the streets without papers. First, we were went through interrogations and, and health and quarantines and de-lousing and all kinds. You know, as a young child, that really affected me because mm. my father and my brother were separated from me. I thought I would never see them, and I was devastated. For two days, I would look out of this kind of barred window hoping to see them. So it was a, a dark period initially. And then softly they gave us this space. They had a whole floor where families were. The whole area was divided into little little cubicles, if you will, uh, of family dwellings. With, uh, we, with blankets? Divided by the blankets? Blankets or cardboard. When is this? Time this period. is in 1956. So the war is over, and it's still... Because war and communism really yeah. permeated Eastern Europe. Sure. 
people were escaping. There was a big exodus. The refugees after World War II was tremendous. They're comparing it with the refugees now. And so the countries came together and had to make provisions on how to handle, not unlike what they did today. I am so grateful that you've told this story at this time because I'm watching television, I'm reading everything. I think that I can identify with these people who are fleeing something, trying to make a better life, because I know you, and I can hear your words, and it is so affecting me and and enabling me to understand what so many people right now must be going through. Well, Faith, that was actually, you know, when I finally decided, because I wasn't going to write this yet. You know, I'm into cookbooks, and that's what people know me for. But I was encouraged. I was encouraged by the editors and the publisher that my story can maybe go parallel with what's happening today. And people know me, and it's a story that I lived and ultimately survived and ultimately made a great ending to it. So there's hope. And we should never forget Not only do I love this woman, Robin, but I'm crazy about good memoirs, and this is one of them, and now out in paperback. And we've arranged to have this sent as a gift to you, as a thank you for supporting this show and everything you hear on Connecticut Public. It's My American Dream, A Life of Love, Family, and Food. It is a fascinating read by Lydia Bastianich, our studio guest. If you would like to pledge to receive this book, now out in paperback, just out, the number is one 800 584 2788. Robin? When we first aired this show with Lydia, many listeners wrote in to tell us how inspired they were by her story and how grateful they were to have heard this conversation. If you've heard a story on Connecticut Public Radio that's inspired you, please support us right now. 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call to pledge your support or go to foodschmooze.org and click the red donate button on the right-hand corner of our homepage. Select Lydia's memoir and make your gift of $6 a month or a one-time gift of $72. Have your charge card or checkbook with you when you make your gift and tissues with you when you read the book. Yeah, it's something to read some one's story and to witness their bravery, their courage. It's much needed right now, these kinds of stories, and I appreciated it for that. She would never toot her own horn, of course, but there it is in black and white as this story unfolds in Italy, what it was like for her there. I wanted to grow up doing every single thing she did and then how it all radically changes and she ends up in a refugee camp with her parents It is an amazing story. And then how does she become a food star? It's all in this book, My American Dream. Just out in paperback, it's our thank you. Robin often tells you if you want to go to foodschmooze.org and click on the pledge button, you can certainly do that. You can also pay $6 a month or make a one-time gift of $72. And we'd be happy to send this paperback to you. It's um, easy to carry. You can take it with you when you've got waiting time in the doctor's office as a beach read. 
It's a beautiful story, and it is very informative about the refugee story. Robin, I don't know if this happens to you, but I watch all these things happening with refugees from all over the world trying to get into this country, and it's so complex as I'm watching. And I read this book, and I thought, that's what's been missing for me, an up-close, intimate look by someone I know who lived this experience. It's really a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And uh, people feel like they know Lydia because they've seen her on TV for so long and read all of her cookbooks. They feel like they know her so they can connect to this story. I don't mean to speak for anyone else, but when I watch her, I know to respect her. She has that way about her. Mm. And when you read this story and as she's written it, you understand why you feel that way in her presence. Okay, here it is. We'll send you this memoir, which I love. 1-800-584-2788. Bring your charge card to the phone only because it's easier. And pledge, if you can, $6 a month. If you want to do it as a one-time gift of $72, that's fine and deeply, deeply appreciated by everyone who works on the show, everyone who works at the station. It means the world to us to be given a new lease on life, to be told you have permission to go forward for another period of time because I find this resource on the dial, as we used to say, I find it valuable in my life. And thank you, thank you for being part of the team that makes all of this happen. 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call to support our show. Or go to foodschmooze.org and click the red donate button in the corner. And thanks. I'm Faith Middleton. I'm with my treasured food buddy, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. And I would say now, a lot of people must feel this if they've read this book, with my treasured friend, Lydia Bastianich. It's the most amazing, most beautiful, affecting memoir. Thank you so much for writing it. And here we have your son's wine, Bastianich, in your vineyard in Italy. Cheers to you. Cheers to you, Chris. So so here we've left off in this story. If you're just joining us, Lydia is telling in her book this amazing story about Tito coming to power in the 1940s in Italy. They decide that anyone who isn't communist is bad and people are being disappeared and murdered. And it's just an astonishing story. So they escape. They're put into a concentration camp in Italy, San Saba. Uh, which was a former Nazi concentration camp and crematorium. To my amazement, you were there for two years. Because where are we going to go? We could have reclaimed our Italian citizenship. Mm. We still would have had to stay in the camp until they cleared all the papers and get us out. And maybe that would have been shorter. But my parents decided, no, Italy in the aftermath was destroyed, no jobs. Italians were fleeing and immigrating. And so my parents said, let's stay here. Let's stay in the camp. Let's await. Hopefully soon we will get a chance to go to a free country. And the countries that were accepting at that time were Canada, Australia, America. Belgium. Belgium. 
also South America. I guess wherever they needed workers. and You uh, could have so, had a show, Mi Amiga. <laughs> so, so you had no idea, where, or your family had no, no idea. No, no, no. You asked for an application, and the first choice for, for my parents, for us, was America, of course. And you wait. You wait for the response, which country will accept you. Belgium, I think, responded first. But my mother didn't want to go to Belgium because they were taking immigrants there because they had the mines. And there was a big accident. A lot of people died in the mine in those times. So my mother said, no, no, we waited this long. Let's wait a little longer. And then ultimately, Dwight Eisenhower was the president. That was 1958. And he opened immigration for communist fleeing refugees, of which we were. And he was the one that opened the door for us to come here. We hear that refugees today get interviewed and have to go through quite a lengthy process. But that doesn't really mean anything to me. When I read how they interrogated, the Americans interrogated you to find out if they thought that everything was right with you physically, that you would fit into society, that you had a good chance of making it. And also politically, that I guess my parents didn't have an underlying communist oh, uh, spies. spies or something. So the, we were vetted thoroughly. And when we were deemed clean politically and uh, physically and whatever, we finally were allowed to come in. So imagine wow. this family, Chris Brosberry. Oh, God. If they're on a plane flying to America and the wondrousness of that, for, especially for you and your brother. Now, they come to New York City. Okay. Can you imagine that? A look from this little place coming into New York City and thinking, what in the world? And they put you in midtown Manhattan in a hotel called the Walcott? Yes. <laughs> it, it was amazing. So we had nobody in America. It's not that we had family waiting. So the Catholic Relief Services and the Catholic Charities and the Red Cross were responsible for bringing us here, paying our trip shepherding us into a hotel. There was about 50 family. I remember they came with a yellow bus. At that time, they didn't realize, but it was a school bus. They drove us into Manhattan. So from JFK, as you go towards Manhattan, I still see the site. Every time that I go to Brooklyn, I'm looking at it. And you see this kind of profile of Manhattan, all of these big buildings like needles. It was like the postcards that we used to look. And ultimately, we come in the middle of it. It was just extraordinary, the energy, the the happiness. But you don't speak a word of English. (laughs) Not one of you in your entire family. Yes. When you finally leave that hotel, you kept trying to give the money back to the Catholic (laughs) Charities, where they would loan them some money every time you thought it was a loan. The next day, right away, we went to visit the social worker. They told us it was right around the corner. She spoke Italian. I think she gave my mother 16 or $18. And she says, feed the children. But my mother, for the whole first week, you know, she saw this money and she says, oh, my God, I'm not working. When am I going to return it? Not to mention how much is it. She has no way of knowing how much money that is in her hand. No, no. But we had milk, Wonder Bread, and bananas. That was our menu for the whole week. That's what she bought. We loved it. The bananas were something new to us and, of course, milk. But she felt we had the basis nutritional necessities, and she didn't spend much. So the next week when we came to the social worker and the social worker was asking and whatever, my mother pulled out the money that was left over. Oh, I have plenty of money. I don't need any for next week. And she says, my God, did you feed these children? And she says, well, I don't have a job. How am I going to return this? She says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We want you in America we want to feed you. You will have an opportunity to find work 
and to be good Americans and to appreciate all of this. But you know what, Faith? That about four years after that, we went to visit. You know, you would go once a year. And my mother took with her her little bank book. She was ready to pay back what they gave us. And they never took it back. How does one, unless you experience it, really understand the goodness of people? We are a product of people that care, that took care of us, that wanted us, that wanted us to come. They had a vision for us. They knew that we would become good Americans, that American, America needs these enthusiastic people that mm-hmm. want a free place to live, mm-hmm. that want to feed their family. And when they finally found us a little apartment in New Jersey, people came from the Italian community, from the Catholic community. They brought in chairs. They brought in beds. They brought in towels. They filled our cupboards with food. In my, my heart still, the gratitude that how people really cared. My response to that was, this is my country. I want to be here. I want to become American as soon as possible. And when I was 18... I applied for citizenship, and I became a citizen at 18. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I'm not leaving here, that finally mm-hmm. I have a country. We have a family from Yemen working for us now, and the mosque did exactly what brings them food every week and gets them acclimated and helps getting their kids in school. And So it's still happening. We need to help each other until we're on our feet yeah. and move on. And then in turn... We help others as we go on, and I think that's one of my greatest pleasures now. Before we get to you getting one of your first jobs at the bakery across the street, because it's a really interesting (laughs) story, but your father, he never quite adjusted to life here. He missed. He he didn't. He was 10 years older than my mother, and uh, he was in his late 40s, early 50s. He was depressed. He was very nostalgic. Uh, He didn't learn the language as quickly. It's interesting because your mother could still do so many of the things that she did in Italy slash Yugoslavia. Your father, there really, he couldn't assume what he had there. Absolutely. She, she, being a mother, Mm -hmm. uh, seeing us to school, Working somehow, she got acclimated much faster. He, it mm. took him a long time, and I don't think he ever really did. Mm. My American Dream is the name of Lydia Bastianich's memoir. It's really extraordinary. We're at Gateway Community College in our studios here. It's a great place to be interviewing you because I know you believe in community colleges and in universities. You've seen there's a big culinary program here, and that's what we love so much. Absolutely, and. Given a chance, these kids are going to make their life and they're going to be all that much better for all of America. Yeah. So you get this job in your teens, this over at the bakery across the street, this Mr. Walken owns it, and you weren't really quite old enough to be working. Well, I was 14, and but I was a big girl, 16. I lied and they took me on. Uh, he had his family working. He was a German immigrant but settled. He had all three boys working there. There was three brothers. And, of course, Christopher. We're still Christopher so, oh. Walken. We're still friends. We, he comes over <laughs> the house. He loves to cook, by the way. He's a I good know cook. He He's does. a good cook. I loved it that he was in your, in your life. He lives in Connecticut. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I hear. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a property next door. You know, <laughs> I, I Going need, in for I dinner? Need, I need a really good cook next door. <laughs> Okay, so how does it happen that you marry a man, you have children, you were at Hunter College, 
and you get it into your heads, you're just now making it, and you say, we need to open a restaurant. And, well, I, you know, I had my head in my hands thinking, well, I know how this story ends. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, how, what's the real beginning? You know, as much as I love food, that's not what my focus of the future was. But I met my husband, Felice, who was also an immigrant from Istria. He made waves in the restaurant business. He worked, worked his way up as a, a waiter and then a maitre d'. And he ultimately wanted to open his own restaurant. I think that's part of what brought us together also was the food. He was looking for partners. I said, you know what? I will help you. And so in 1971, he comes up with this little restaurant in Forest Hills, Queens, and it had uh, nine tables. It was a French restaurant. We just took it over. And I certainly wasn't a chef. I loved cooking. I knew my Italian things. He was expert with the dining room. We hired a chef, an Italian-American chef, you know, I realized, well, I better get some training. I went in the kitchen and became the sous chef. Wow. And for 10 years, I worked alongside this Italian-American chef. And that's where I learned all the Italian-American food and, and hence, you know, the books. What did you think at that time? Because this wasn't Italian-American food came to be as all kinds of, you know, Chinese-American and, and, you know, it, because these are the ingredients you could get. Exactly. So... It was very different. It was not a food that we ate at home. It had yeah. the Italian undertones, For but sure. it was different. And then I said, I got to find out more about the food. So the big first influx of Italian immigrants was at the end of the 1800s. And they were from Sicily, sure. Campania, which is Naples, mm -hmm. and Calabria. And the basis of the Italian-American food is in those three regions, uh, the, the peppers, the tomatoes, the sure. garlic. You can imagine that these immigrants came. They brought with them some dry herbs and things like that, but they couldn't bring much, and they started cooking. So they cooked out of their memory with the ingredients yeah. they found. And a whole new cuisine was Italian-American so, is born. Yeah, and, I, and believe me, I love yeah, it. I, I love too. that. Who doesn't? Not yeah. just the real thing. But oh, I it's Italian cuisine. Oh. It's a story of adaptation, yeah. but it's a good cuisine. Yes. Yeah. Why was that little tiny restaurant, what was it called again? Bonavia was the Bonavia. first Bonavia. What was the key to the success of this little tiny place you two opened, do you think? There was just the genuine philosophy of making it feel it's like our home, an extension of our home. Good food. Did you give the free Prosecco then when you, when you would say, hey, come have a glass of Prosecco on us? We did a lot of different <laughs> tastings, you know. Then I got cooking, and I cooked regional. We made polenta. Oh, we God. had friends, hunters. They would bring venison. Sure. We cooked uh, the <laughs> and sauce. You, and you could do that. Oh, yeah, you totally. <laughs> yeah, that was not anymore. But I would, we would bring next. They would order their meal, yeah. and next to them, a little plate of polenta and venison, and we oh. wouldn't charge them. So just taste this. You'll yeah. like this. We were anxious for the people to really get to know us. And so there were lines, Chris, Prosperi. Yeah to get into this place, and that just kept going. And then, of course, in the book, there's the point where they decide they're going to open another one. Wow. And I'm saying, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a big hit, just as it is. Well, know. it was tiny. That's when the energy of, of accomplishment, mm -hmm. of business, and so on, you know, the opportunity is there. And we took it. And in 1980, we sold both of those restaurants, and we opened Felidia in 1981 nice. on 58th Street. And you know what? Yes. Where do you hear this? Because this is the restaurant that almost broke them. 
Yes, yes. They almost went down. Whoa. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back with Lydia Bastianich, our special guest. I'm Faith Middleton with Robin Doyen Aiken, the senior producer of the show and all-time great person is what I like to say about Robin. We're talking with Lydia Bastianich, as you know, and she wrote this memoir. And we've had it on the show before, but we wanted to air this conversation for you again, this encore presentation, as we fancily call it, because My American Dream is such a good read. You know, there are times in here when I was enchanted. There were times when I felt kind of choked up when she's cooking for the Pope. Not because it was such an honor for her, but the way he responded to everyone, the working staff in the house they were all staying in where they were cooking for him. What he did with the people in that house was so touching to me. Anyway, there are a million great stories in here, especially what it was like to be afraid to even speak your home language, Italian, because Tito. And then she becomes, this is the story of how she becomes, she works at a bakery and becomes this incredible star who is the real deal. Lydia is the real deal. As Robin will tell you, we have early copies of the paperback edition, which has just been released, and we have enough of them to send one to you as a thank you gift for supporting this show. Call 1-800-584-2788 or go to foodschmooze.org and click the red donate button. It's on the top right. You know where it is. For a pledge of $6 a month or $72, we will send you Lydia Bastianich's My American Dream in paperback so you can be as inspired by Lydia's life story as we were listening to her tell it. It truly is an amazing, uplifting story that you are going to want to read and then share with someone you love. Perhaps someone in the midst of struggle or crisis or displacement Hmm. who would be comforted by Lydia's story of resilience, determination, and family connection. I don't want to take too much time away from this important conversation, so I'll remind you that 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call to support Connecticut Public Radio or go to foodschmooze.org and look for the red donate button. You can't miss it and make whatever gift you can. Every penny is appreciated, and thanks. I give love to all of my people, all of my people need love. Give some. I'm Faith Middleton, and this is the Fuchmoose Party offering the richness of life. And coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, and Chris Prosperi is here. Our guest is Lydia Bastianich for the full hour because. She has written the most amazing memoir. It is called My American Dream. You just cannot believe the things that happened to this person you see all these years teaching you. It's an astonishing story and the story of many, many immigrants, I think, although this is an original. When you were writing this book, is there anything that you told your kids where did they say, I didn't know that? Many things along the way. My grandchildren, I have to share this with you, Faith. My grandchildren's uh, age is from 15 to 21. We were all together for Easter. I sent them the galley, and I said, 
This is your story. I want you to read it. And when we're together for Easter, we will discuss it. And, yeah, they were amazed. They were amazed. They didn't know that the regimes. They, yeah. Grandma, you lived through that. You know, Grandpa was in prison. You know, sometimes kids yeah. don't take in. But yeah. as they reach a certain age, then they realize. Yeah. Wow. Did you have to revise anything? <laughs> did anyone say, I did not do that? <laughs> well, let me tell you, this was really a close collaboration of this book. My daughter, Tanya, Tanya. who is wonderful, you know, she's an art historian, but she's a great researcher and all that. And then I had help in, in writing it also. Uh, Lisa Pulitzer was actually her name. Mm -hmm. And the two of them kind of set up a map for me, a chronological map of my life. And then I filled it in with all the emotions and my stories. But in doing that, my mother, who's 97, she still lives with me. Wow. She's part of it. You know, every wow. time I had my doubts, sit down. What happened here? What happened here? I just wanted to make so sure. Because sometimes mm. memories, yeah. especially if you have a strong emotional memories, yeah. can take you maybe astray. Mm. We were very conscious about being on the truthful path. So Validia wow. is the first I wouldn't say real restaurant because I love these little ones that you start with. I just think, oh, what a dream. But then this is the first real, we're talking professional. Now you've got to compete with other people, not only in the country, but maybe the rest of the world. Even though I know how this <laughs> ends, I'm kind of holding my breath to see, does something bad happen here that I don't know about? What was the key to it really taking off? Was it the New York Times review or... Your whole family pitched in. Everybody. Your father was refinishing chairs. Wow. We, we had no resources left. It was almost back to <laughs> square one as immigrants. I said, okay, you, you see. You almost ran uh, out of food. And, you know, sometimes you think, oh, my God, did I want too much? Should I stop at some place? Yeah. There was no food. Uh, actually, we would cook for the workers so that they would work extra hours. Mm -hmm. The question was, my husband worked in the city in the restaurant. So that was his mm. dream to come back. So we didn't plan like, oh, we're going to be on the world kind of scale competition. He wanted to come back to the customers that he remembered. And they said, oh, Felice, you got to come back to the city and whatever. When we opened that restaurant, that was the restaurant that I became the chef. So, you know, I had mm. a lot at stake, wow. yeah, you know, yeah. and that was the restaurant where I decided if I'm going to be the chef, I'm going to cook the food that I eat at home, the regional Italian nice. cuisine of all the 20 regions of Italy. But there was a lot of unknowns. The building was an old brownstone. Every restaurant yeah, needs sure, a cellar sure. to work, to store. Yeah. And the underpinning was crumbling. The house oh. was about to fall down. So this was major <laughs> investments that we had to make that we didn't plan on. And when was this? Because it the went well over a million dollars by the time you were. I haven't even opened the door yet. Exactly. This was in 1980. We finally opened in Ooh. April 81. Wow. Wow. And, you know, so that was a, a lot of money. Sweating. Yeah. I hope, you know, you might not be interested in cooking and you listen to the show for the party atmosphere or whatever. But, but let me tell you that this person, Lydia Bastianich, and her family are just revered in the food and wine world. They have restaurants everywhere now in Italy, too. And it's just, you know, a vineyard. So here's my question for you. If someone had said to you early on, are you the ambitious type do you ever say to yourself, enough, I, okay, now we're going to have resting? Or you don't. But that's a great question. And I had asked myself, and I somewhat come to an answer I'm going to share with you. As we go on, you always do. You said, okay, I'm going to need a rest order. And so I do kind of put an intermezzo now that I'm into way into my career. 
But somehow I am pulled back like a magnet. You know, there's something <laughs> yeah. that pulls me back. I don't know what it is. It's the people. It's the food. The life. It's the, yeah, it's a life. Faith, what I think really, yes, it is the passion. It is the eagerness for your family. You want them to live well. You don't want them to experience what you did. You want them to get an education, the opportunity, the American opportunity. But I think that what really drove me, and I I asked myself this, and my brother too. My brother is, he's more of an academic. Both of us, because my mother and father, we saw them a lot of time questioning Did we do the right thing? Should we have stayed, especially in the beginning? And I think that the drive to prove to them that what they did was really a great thing for us. I wanted the success to prove them. And, you know, my mother's part of whatever I do. She's part of the success. My drive is to bring them the comfort, the sacrifice that they made was worthwhile. Till this day, my mother is as much part of this success as I am and my whole family. After reading your story, I think so, your mother. Just before we came on the air, we decided to go back to one of your cookbooks and said, listen, we're celebrating her life and finding out these amazing things. Let's cook something. So we said to Chris, what do you want to get? So we went to Lydia's Celebrate Like an Italian. We had this book on the show. So we put up on the website your recipe, and we just ate it for rigatoni with Italian-American meat sauce. We wanted to go the Italian-American way, <laughs> and it is a killer meat sauce with country ribs, pork yeah. ribs, and sausage, sausage, tomatoes. an easy tomato sauce that is just fresh and great. Every it, time I make one of your recipes, while I'm making it, you're there with me. You've uh, come up with a way. It's just that you say it in such a simple way. It's like you're standing next to me when I'm actually yeah. turning the ribs or when I'm taking the sausage out of the pan or, you know, I see a lot of brown fond on the bottom of the pan and you're like, don't burn the garlic, just nice and easy. And it's like you're there with me doing oh. it. The love of the dish comes through, right? Faith, we just had yeah. it for lunch today. And I, I really hope you'll go to fuchmoos.org yeah, make this and Sunday. make this. Yeah, make it Sunday. <laughs> I, I'm, so, I'm so delighted to hear oh. everything that you had to say. And I do feel, you know, I want to be a, a guiding kind of force. I want people to enjoy and to cook and to know. But I do want to be there with them. So I'm glad it comes through. And this recipe is a great recipe because it's a one-pot recipe. Mm -hmm. And you have the pasta first, the dressing for the pasta. So you have il primo and then il secondo actually of the meat and you make a salad with or something. So you have a full-fledged, elegant meal and you can make it for 10, 12 people. This recipe makes a lot. Yes, (laughs) yes. This recipe has wine in it. How typical is that in Italy? You know, wine or some sort of acidity in cooking is typical, you know, because it kind of deglazes, it brings the acidity. In Italy, you cook with what the reality is. So you drink while you cook. And, and then, oh, yeah, yeah a little bit of... flash it in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get it off the bottom, I get right? the question a lot of time, you know, Lydia, what wine should I cook for? I says, the wine you drink, you know. <laughs> yeah, while you're drinking, put but it in. When I put the wine in, the one thing I notice is it turned that sauce. That could have been the sauce. Yeah. That could have been a sauce because when those meats seared, there was such a fond on the bottom so of the Chris, pan. So, Chris, explain to people who might not cook yeah. 
what fond is. You know, the that little, little crumbly, yeah, you know, caramelization at the bottom. The bo- full bottom of the pan because I had just seared two pounds of sausage and four pounds of ribs, country ribs in it. So, so I mean, this. What happened when you poured the wine in? Oh, it, just, it just pulled it off the bottom and the sauce, so- it turned like this beautiful brown color like in yeah. seconds and then you start reducing it and then you put your tomatoes in and it yeah, yeah. it's it's heaven you, you it's could have the wine heaven. sauce could be that oh my you gosh. just yeah. you know cooking with wine the important thing is get the alcohol out let the mm-hmm. alcohol dissipate yeah. mm-hmm. the rest is what gives flavor to whatever you're cooking yeah. do you think cooking is your canvas i mean do you think of it if you could have been a painter do you think of food that way yes food is a medium with which I communicate. But not only I. It's a medium for all of us to communicate. You know, we all need food. We all eat. I don't care what race, creed, or whatever, wherever you come from. And that unites, equalizes us. So being at the table and offering food with somebody or sharing their food means the actual acceptance of that connection. You, You know, in your book... There was one thing that I laughed at, and that was, you know how farm to table, we've it's become very precious. Sure. And of course, this is how, how we started in America because, well, of course you would start there. And then it went away, and that now everyone's trying to bring it back, and it's, it's become, in some circles, a kind of precious thing. Here you are from Italy, where it was real farm to table out of necessity. You get over here, and what enthralls you? But the Duncan Hines cake mixes <laughs> on the aisles of the markets that you were in, it still makes me laugh when I think well, of it. Well, you know, it's a great period. And I, when I shop and I look at those boxes of mix, I still kind of laugh. But at the time, they were splendid. Here yeah, I was. In the 70s, right? I, yeah, yeah. I was a 12-year-old. 12, 14, cooking because mom was working late and she would have everything ready for me. And I discovered this box and it wasn't expensive. No. And you bring it home and you put an egg or some Some butter or some milk or whatever. You put it in the pan and voila, it puffs up into this this (laughs) delicious cake. Every night we had recipe. I felt great. It was kind of an immediate success for me, you know, kind of, oh, I can do. And so I continued and I enjoyed it. It was my way of getting to know America and to be Mm -hmm. American at one point. Frozen dinners. I know. You thought that was the greatest thing when you could afford to get one. Yes. And I had to work. My mother wouldn't buy me because she says, for that money, I can feed all four of you for a dinner. So I remember we had this pull-out tray. It was taken off the street someplace. Somebody had thrown out and my father fixed it. I bought myself this dinner. I reheated it in the oven. I put myself in front of the television and I ate with the tray. I ate a TV dinner, and I watched the show, and I says, I'm American. As a kid, that made you American. You know, I felt very yeah. part of it. Oh, my gosh. I, I just want to close by saying, at the age you were at that time that you discovered the cake mix, is when girls typically, hormonally, things are going on, and girls start to what we call lose confidence because they're being flooded with hormones. And at that moment, you were having success with those Duncan Hines cakes. Next thing you know, you're in a bakery working. Exactly. I think this is a great story. It's really, it's an American story. It's my story. Thank you. And stick to it. That's what I would say. I'm Faith Middleton with Lydia Bastianich. And Robin Duane Aiken is also here and Chris Prosperi. 
I wanted to say that in reading this memoir, I would tell you that it is extremely intimate. Some memoirs are just filled with dates, and then I went to the grocery store, and then I did this, and I did that. This is very intimate in that way that she has. She is such a smart woman and so kind and so remarkably talented and she just put one foot in front of the other despite everything that has happened to her, good and bad, and look what has happened. She's the head of an empire and has never lost touch with what matters. That's why it's also called A Life of Love, Family, and Food. Okay, here we go. If you'd like to have us send this new paperback edition of My American Dream by Lydia, we'd be happy to do it. The toll-free number is 1-800-584-2788. Lydia Bastianich has been on your PBS television screens teaching you how to cook since the late 90s. And you've been listening to Faith's Voice on Connecticut Public Radio since before that for almost 40 years. These women are both public broadcasting legends. Oh, my God. (laughs) If you've gained some wisdom from Faith or Lydia over the years, cooking or otherwise, show your support for their work right now. Your pledge of $6 a month or a one-time gift of $72 will get you Lydia Bastianich's inspiring memoir, now out in paperback. So, yeah, like Faith said, you can take it to the beach and dab some tears with a towel. Uh, It also gives you the feeling of satisfaction and empowerment that you are supporting the work of true pioneers and hashtag lady bosses who've enriched your lives (laughs) by sharing what they know. And in Faith's case, bringing a little party to your kitchen every week. Well, thank you, Robin. I hardly know (laughs) what to say to that. I slipped that all in. Yeah, yeah. So, um... I would say that there is something about the story of coming to a new place. I know I'd be floundering if I didn't speak the language. What is this place? She arrives in New York City. Can you imagine? (laughs) The detail of how they lived day to day is so remarkable. This is the story of a life. I often want that when I pick up a memoir. Just give me the story of a life which is well-lived, with courage, with a kind of grit, with fortitude. And that's Lydia Bastianich in this book. It's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. And hope. So toll-free, 1-800-584-2788, our gift to you. It is a thank you, the new paperback edition of My American Dream. Thank you for listening Thank you for the support through the years, if you're one of those people. Or maybe this is a first time. Um, yes, welcome. Or, yeah. <laughs> nice to have you at the table. Uh, so $6 a month or a one-time gift of $72. Toll-free, 1-800-584-2788. Robin. Or go to foodschmooze.org. That's our website. You'll find a red button on the right-hand corner of the page. When you click it, you'll be led to the Food Schmooze exclusive pledge page, and you'll see Lydia's book there, and you will be so gratified when you read it. Okay, special fundraising edition, My American Dream, her very affecting memoir, and we'll send it to you. Just call 1-800-584-2788. With Robin Doyen Aiken in New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton, and thanks.